G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Everything you need to know for health, wealth, and vitality, you will find in Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we turn over to Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read to you a parable, and you're going to find that everyone who's concerned with the present financial condition of our country, Jesus is going to confront you with four questions. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Today we'll hear about something we may all struggle with, that's financial distress. Whatever your circumstances, whether you're in real trouble with cash flow or not, Pastor Jeff asks us to listen to what Jesus has to say about our money and our health using the Sermon on the Mount. This is the final message in the Help series. If you've missed any episodes, you can find the whole series on most podcast apps. Just search for Today with Jeff Bynes. So let's get started. Here's Pastor Jeff to begin this message about financial distress. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Welcome, glad you're here. Uh, Luke chapter 12, before we get into that, I read an article in Yahoo this past week that told me that Los Angeles is now the second worst place in America to live. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. I'm serious. That's what it said. I mean, I'm thinking, wait a minute, all the sunshine, all the beaches, you know, the beauty. Now, it is true. We have some bad things like Dodger Stadium, but for the most part, <laughs> for the most part, we're a good, you Dodger fans have had enough of that, haven't you? Now, listen, I kept reading the article, though. And it wasn't really talking about things like sunshine and beaches. It was talking about stress level. Los Angeles is the second most stressful city in which to live in America. Talked about financial stress, foreclosures, traffic stress, which a lot of you know about, taxes, which I just found out about recently. <laughs> it is a stressful place. But you know, it's pretty bad, not only right here in LA. I mean, comparatively, relatively speaking, it's, 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 it's bad. It's got some things that are happening. People are struggling. I know. And you, I look at the stock market report and I don't follow that very often, but I've become interested in it recently. And it is amazing. As I read an article that talked about banks getting a 700 plus billion dollar bailout. Well, I hope somebody bails me out when I misuse my money. And the real shocker in all that is I had to throw that in there. Okay. I just had to throw it in. The real shocker is over a 12 month period, $12 trillion of stock disappeared. And a third of that in just three weeks. That's amazing. I mean, how do you recover from that? Look, the, the bottom line is lots of people are looking forward. We're looking forward to retirement. And it's not funny, really, because they were going to play golf, chill, have a good time, hang out. And now they're not sure when they're going to be able to retire. And for a lot of people, they're not sure if they're ever going to be able to retire. There is a, a, a huge industry, I'm going to remain nameless, that opened up in the Midwest recently. 75% of the applicants were senior citizens. 
coming back out of retirement into the workforce because they've lost everything. There are lots of people in this audience right now throughout our church, they're wondering how they're gonna tell their kids that the college fund is gone, that there is no fund. Worried about how they're gonna tell their wife or their husband they've lost their job and they don't know when they're gonna get another job or if they can get another job. I sense a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of panic, a lot of questions, but what really is happening is that everybody wants to know the future. Everybody's asking, where are we headed? Where's the bottom? When we start to go down the bottom, we've hit rock bottom, we start to turn upwards. I'm in the process right now of trying to buy a house, and I keep asking my neighbor, hey, who's in finance? Hey, when, when do I buy? When do I buy? When is gonna, when's it going to hit the bottom? Because I want to buy at the lowest possible time, because my house took a hit in Savannah, and I know I'm just like yours, right? Every, we're all in this together, all in the same boat. We all want to know when it's going to end. So here's what I thought. We started this series because we called it Help, because we wanted to address the economic situation in America. But if you notice, we've not even talked about economics in the whole series. So I thought it would be good, maybe this is about the right time, given the situation that we find ourselves in, to ask the smartest man who ever lived what he thinks about the American economy. So I called up Alan Greenspan. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Warren Buffett, not, and I'm not talking about him either. I'm talking about Jesus. And if you're in here and you're not a believer and you're just kind of finding your way through, you at least should give Jesus an audience, right? You should at least allow him to say something because he's only the smartest man who's ever lived. So you, even if you don't follow him or believe in him, you should at least pay attention to what he says about the economy and about your stuff and your money. As a matter of fact, psychiatrist J.T. Fisher, a world-renowned psychiatrist, maybe one of the most respected, before he became a believer, said this about Jesus. Everything you need to know for health, Wealth and vitality you will find in Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. So at least, if you're not a believer, not a follower, you should listen to what he has to say. And as we turn over to Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read to you a parable, and you're going to find that everyone who's concerned with the present financial condition of our country, Jesus is going to confront you with four questions. The first one is this. He's going to ask you, are you being deceived by your money? Are you being deceived? And here's how he starts the parable in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? It's Jesus' way of saying, look, I didn't come to the earth to serve as a mediator between people who are having financial disputes. That's not my main priority. However, Jesus says, I will say this to you. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, right out of the gate, Jesus is saying two things. And you've got to get them to have a foundational understanding of everything Jesus is going to say on top of this. First, he says, lasting pleasure and happiness are not tied to your money. Now, isn't it true that no matter how many people take this route and they keep thinking, the more money I have, the happier I'll be, no matter how many men try this and get to the top, or women, and get to the top and realize that there's still that same emptiness, that same depression, same disappointment. And no matter how many books they write about it and sell at Barnes and Noble and we read it, it still doesn't change us any. We still got to find it out for ourselves. Jesus tried to say it 2,000 years ago. You think you're going to find happiness and contentment and peace and everything you've been searching for with stuff and it doesn't happen. When I was in New Zealand, the most wealthy man in the country was a man by the name of Doug Myers. Brian Davis found a picture for us. He's New Zealand's richest man. $570 million, over half a billion. 
a newspaper reporter in Auckland did a report on him in an interview. This is the first thing she said in her article about Doug Myers. She said, and I quote, people who reckon he's happy because he's got half a billion dollars are stupid. <laughs> really nice. That's what she said. Do you remember Rachel Hunter, the model actress? She's also a Kiwi. She said that she yearns for a more ordinary life. The model actress said she was desperately unhappy despite having the best money could buy. She also said, I was modeling and I was breaking into acting, but I was increasingly lonely and depressed. The more money she got, the more acting jobs she got, the more depressed she became. Why? Jesus says again, let me quote, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, can I just clear something up here for a moment? We Christians, let's be honest, we say a lot of dumb things. Okay, it's okay. I do it up here from time to time. Well, actually, every week. You do it in your life. And so we look at somebody who's got a lot of money in the world, and they're wealthy, and we say in a conversation at Starbucks or wherever, well, yeah, that guy, he's got a lot of money. And then we say this, but he's not happy. <laughs> Let me tell you something. He's happy. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying lasting happiness does not come from wealth. Let me tell you, wealth can make you happy for a while. It's when you get to the end of it and you've accumulated everything you wanted to accumulate and you realize you're still as empty and disappointed and frustrated. Now, let me give you an example. Not too long ago, a friend of mine came up, somebody in the church said, hey, we'd like you and your wife to be able to have a vacation this summer. So they had some leftover points at Weston Hotels and we got to go over to Scottsdale and spend a week at the Weston Hotel in Scottsdale. You know, it's called the Heavenly Hotel. They got heavenly beds, heavenly pools, heavenly golf clubs, Heavenly golf cart. It has air conditioning. That's right. <laughs> I went into that room the day we checked in. I looked around at the furniture. I mean, I'm Motel 6 Jeff here. I go into the furniture. I look at the furniture. I look at the TV. I look around. I look at the golf course. And I want to tell you something. I was happy. I promise you. See, the Jesus point is this. You can get moments of happiness. They come in spurts. But the reality is you will come to the point in your life where you know something internally that has been placed within you tells you this can't be it. There's got to be something more. Now, here's what you do. You do one of two things. You either embrace it and start to pursue something different or you ignore it. And every time you become sad and depressed, you try to get more stuff to make you feel better. And it never works. It continues to elude you. That's all Jesus is saying. Because life consists of something more than just stuff. Now, the second thing Jesus says is that money will trick you. It will trick you into thinking the opposite. That's why he says, watch out. It'll trick you into thinking that your life is about hoarding and stockpiling and money will worm its way into you till it convinces you that your joy and happiness is all tied to how much stuff you have. Jesus says, watch out, be on guard because you can't see it coming. And when he says this, every time I read this, I think, do you know how many people have come into my office over the last 30 years and said, Jeff, I have a sexual addiction problem. I mean, it's astounding. Now, would you like to guess how many in 30 years of ministry have come into my office and said, I have a greed problem? Zero. Because when you have it, you don't know you have it. It sneaks up very slowly. And next thing you know, your demeanor changes, your life changes, your attitude changes. And you, listen, your depression and happiness goes up and down based on how much stuff you have and how many bills you have to pay. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Dr. Timothy Keller says, sex has slain its thousand, money has slain its tens of thousands. And he's talking about an epidemic called the now what epidemic. 
In other words, you get to the top of the ladder. You've climbed and you've climbed. Your wife can't stand you because you abandoned her to climb. Your children can't stand you because you haven't paid attention to them to climb. So you can get more and more stuff. Then you get to the top of the corporate ladder and you only discover that it's leaning against the wrong wall. Now, folks, I am so intent on making you understand this. I'm making you understand this, that I'm going to hammer this to death. And it all starts with this question. What do James Dobson, John Ortberg, and Jeff Bonds have in common? They all played Monopoly with their grandmothers. And I want to tell you something about my grandma. She was ruthless. She taught me the game of Monopoly. She was not kind. She was usually kind until the Monopoly board came out. And she would just drill me day after day after day because I thought you want a monopoly by not buying anything. Let me tell you right now, you don't win like that. You've got to buy air, take every hotels, houses, and then when somebody lands on you, destroy them. My grandma turned from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde as soon as the monopoly board came out. She was ruthless. Grandma, I'm running low on money. Can I borrow some money from the bank? No, you're going down. That's how she talked to me. You're going down, vines, down. But grandma, I just need a little money. No, you got no money. You're finished. And games wouldn't last very long with grandma. There'd be no loans, but grandma, maybe I can borrow some money from another part. No, the game says you can't, you can't borrow money from somebody else. She was ruthless. I'm telling you, I hope you're getting the picture. Mean and ruthless. And then at the end of the game, she always won. Always. I never won one time. She would lift the board up after it was over and she'd just say, look at this. <laughs> it's all mine. <laughs> And it would make me so mad. And she, she knew that it would make me mad and I would just get frustrated. But then I went away to college, learned how to play Monopoly. That's right. I learned how to beat grandma. I couldn't wait to get back home. Fall came. Grandma says, you want to play some Monopoly? Sure, grandma. Yeah, we'll play. I just imagined having this plaque where I had beaten my grandmother. Jeff Vine's master of the board. <laughs> we started to play. Oh, she knew on the first roll I had changed. I could see the fear in her eyes. <laughs> she looked across the board, my grandma did, and I said, you're going down, grandma. <laughs> she starts to panic, makes a few bad decisions. Next thing you know, I can see the handwriting on the wall. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. She has the audacity near the end of the game to say to me, can I borrow some money? <laughs> I said, forget it, Grandma. No way. You're going down right now. And I took Grandma down. <laughs> and I got that board out, and I had all the money in the hotels, park, place, everything. I owned it. She was in jail most of the time. <laughs> and I'll never forget after I had won the game what my grandmother did. And I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. When the game was over and I was glory, basking in the glory, my grandmother took her hand. She put it all in. She took the board and she just gathered it up like this with a sadistic grin on her face. She shoved it in the box. She took all the little things and put them in, put the cover on. She looked me in the eye and she said, it doesn't matter. It all goes back into the box. <laughs> Here's the thing. She's right. But I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to keep it for myself. I wanted to bronze it in a plaque by the front door of grandma's house. Jeff Bynes was here. He's the master of the board. And she just kept saying over and over, it all goes back into the box. It's not yours. It all goes back, in the, back into the box. Now, can you say that with me? It all goes back into the box. One more time. It all goes back into the box. Have you ever heard Jerry Seinfeld talk about this? It's hilarious. Here's what he says. To me, if life boils down to one significant thing, it's movement. 
To live is to keep moving. Unfortunately, this means that for the rest of our lives, we're going to be looking for boxes. Because when you're moving, your whole life is about boxes. That's all you think about is boxes. Where are the boxes? You just wander down the street, going in and out of stores. Are there any boxes here? Have you seen any boxes? When we moved from Savannah to Covina, my wife sent me in paths that I'd never been down. No man had gone before. You go behind the store. You go behind the Walmart. You knock on a door. Some evil creature comes out and says, can I help you? Do you have any boxes? I need some boxes. My wife sent me. I can't go home without boxes. When you're moving, it's all about boxes. Seinfeld says, that's all you think about. You could be at a funeral. Everybody around you is in mourning and crying and you're looking at the casket. That's a nice box. <laughs> Anybody know where you got that box? You think when he's done with it, you think I could get it? It's got some nice handles on it. My stereo fit right in there, he says. I mean, that's what death really is though, isn't it? It's the last big move of your life. The hearse is like the van. The pallbearers are your close friends. The only ones you could really ask to help in a big move like this. And the casket is the great perfect box you've been looking for your whole life. You know why? Because when life is over and the game is over, it all goes back into the box. Now say it one more time. It all goes back into the box. There was a time when parents wanted to make sure their children knew that. Did you know that? They wanted to make sure the last thing the child heard in America was that how temporary life is. So they would say this prayer. Now, you know the first part of it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, we all say that. But somewhere around 1960, we stopped saying the second line. The second line goes like this. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Good night, sweetie. Sweet dreams. <laughs> That's probably why we don't do it, right? But the reality is there. We used to want our kids to know that be careful how you live because it all goes back into the box. That's what life is. That's why Randy Alcorn says this, how likely would any of you go on vacation and stay at a Motel 6 and the first thing you do is say, you know, we really got to decorate this place. So you go out and you buy expensive work of art like, like Picasso or something. You get an expensive vase and you decorate the place. You just build it up to the dilt. How many of you would do that? He says, none of you, because you're only here for a little while. You don't waste your treasure. You're on temporary things. Why? Because it all goes back into the box. Luke 12, Jesus says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, I want to give you one final illustration. I told you I was going to hammer it and exhaust it just in case you missed it. This ought to summarize it for you. Here's what it is. <laughs> there was a man who's near death in his bed. I mean, it's close. Getting ready to take his last breath. His family, they've all prepared for the worse. And he's near the end of his life, and he smells some chocolate chip cookies coming from the kitchen. Now, women, you know what that does to a man. <laughs> and with his last bit of energy and strength, near death, he crawls out of bed, can't stand, but he wobbles his way down the hall, down the stairway, into the kitchen, smells the cookies, knows where they are, but can't stand. So he puts his hand up on top to grab a cookie. And as soon as he grabs the cookie, a spatula comes down out of the sky from his wife, smacking him on the back of the hand. And she says, you put those back. They're for the funeral. <laughs> That's right. You got it. What good are the cookies when you're dead? Right? See, this is the whole point. It all goes back into the box. You're a long time dead. 
And everything, all the stuff, you don't take it with you. It's all over. Now, that's the first thing Jesus says. Are you being deceived by money somehow that you think it's so important and all your stuff's going with you because you just keep hoarding it, stockpiling, rather than using it the way he's about to tell you you should use it? Second, who's in control of your wealth? That's the next question. Who's in control of all this wealth? In the parable, Jesus is highlighting one primary illusion, or in the case of this man, delusion. And here's what it is. The illusion that I'm in control of my money and that it all comes from me. Jesus does not begin the parable with these words. There was a powerful, clever, talented, intelligent man who manufactured his own success. That's not how he starts the parable. He starts it like this. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Here's the million dollar question now. Who made the ground? We've been down this road before. I'm not sure we like it, but let's go again. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. You see, here's the deal. If you're the creator of everything, then you own it. It's all your stuff. That's what Jesus is saying, is that everything you and I have is from God. But when you say that, there are two types of people who respond to that kind of issue. The first is this. They deny it. Now, I want you to notice in the parable, here's what the guy says. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I will store all my grain and my goods and I'll say to myself, eat, drink, be merry, and the rest. Now, when I say this to somebody and I say, hey, look, everything you have is on loan from God. It doesn't come from you. Someone will say, wait a minute, Jeff. I disagree. I worked hard for all this. I did this. Who gave you your hands? Who gave you your intellect? Who gave you your talents and abilities? Who gave you the birth? Who gave you breath to breathe the breath of life? Okay, so you've been a good steward. Well done, Jesus would say. In the case of the rich man, Jesus' point is it's God's dirt, it's God's rain, and it's his sunshine. Without it, you got nothing. You got no crop. It's Jesus' way of saying, look, it doesn't belong to you. It all comes from God. It's his. Now, what's amazing to me is no matter that we're in this financial crisis, my, my children still ask me for money all the time. It doesn't happen to you, does it? It's just with me. <laughs> I picked my son Delaney up over at Citrus. We're coming home. And he says, Dad, you know, I really worked hard this morning. I thought, oh, here we go. Here we go. He said, can we stop at Arby's? So we stopped at Arby's. Now imagine this. We go to Arby's. Now what happened to the day of five sandwiches for five bucks? That, that's gone. <laughs> all right. So we pull up to the window and I say, Delaney, what do you want? Now I'm buying the milk. Keep that in mind. I'm paying for the milk because he, he, he wants to stop, but he doesn't want to pay, right? So I say, what do you want? He said, I'll take a number seven. Nine bucks, folks. It was over nine bucks because, of course, he made it upsize. <laughs> he got the food. We passed it to the back seat. His mother asked him for a couple of French fries. He says, no. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? It's my meal. I paid for it. I just want a couple of fries. No matter how many times I go down this road, it's amazing to, how, to me how many mature believers, when I say to them, it all belongs to God. He gives it to you. He asks for 10% back. You say no. Now that's as ludicrous as two French fries. <laughs> but that's the way we live because we deny. We may give verbiage to it. We may say, yeah, I know everything comes from God. But in reality, the way we live, we don't believe that. We think it's all ours and we did it. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. 
None of you deserve any. It's all the gift of generosity. That's what Jesus tries to say in the parable of the talents. He doesn't tell us why one got one, one got two, one got three or whatever. He just says, I determine who gets what. And you can't stand up and say, because somebody gets a lot more wealth than somebody else, then it's unfair because the reality is you deserve nothing. The real question is, how are you using what God does give you? You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.